copy of God's Holy Word to Psalm 104, Psalm 104, which will be our sermon text today. This is our Psalm of the Month, and it is our practice at the Dallas Reformed Presbyterian Church to consider the Psalms sequentially, one a month, and uh, this month we find ourselves at Psalm 104. We consider a Psalm each month because the Psalm book is uh, the praise book of the Christian Church. And the Apostle says that we are to sing with the understanding also in 1 Corinthians 14.15. And that's the aim today as we consider this psalm. It is a very long psalm, and so we will consider its broad themes in the preaching of the Word and not go into each verse, verse by verse. Well, with that said, trusting you're there in your copy of God's Holy Word, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, Psalm 104. These are the very words of God holy, inspired, and infallible. Let us receive them as such. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariots, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. Thou coveredst it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. Where the birds make their nests, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together. And lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season, that thou givest them they gather, thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled, thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. 
Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. O our gracious God, how glorious you are, we see in this psalm. So we pray, Father, as the word is to be preached, a glorious word, that you would help your minister preach in a manner worthy of the glory of God. This is not something he can do in his flesh. I am unable to preach the excellencies of Christ in my flesh. And so I ask, Father, that you would bless the, the preacher now with the Spirit of the Lord, the very Spirit that inspired this glorious psalm that magnifies the Creator above the cre- creature. O Lord, we pray that that same Spirit would be upon every heart that hears this word now, that with one voice we may praise you out of this psalm. And so, Father, we pray that to that end you would make us know in the preaching of the word that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it is the bent of fallen man, as the Bible says, to serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. That's Romans 1, verse 25. In other words, the bent of fallen man, of his heart, is towards what is called pantheism. Boys and girls, pantheism is the worship of the creation rather than the Creator, treating the creation like it is God. Fallen man, you know, has long made gods out of the sun, the moon, and the earth. They have made gods out of the universe itself. Even today, men speak of mother nature and give her attributes that God alone can have. Even today, and it's been so astonishing, and maybe I've just paid attention to it recently, but you will hear men speak, uh, especially, you know, we might be a little bit more sheltered, some of us as Christians, uh, fellowshipping with Christians, but so many unbelievers will speak of the universe as men once did. It is common to hear things like, the universe is wise, and the universe will reward. That's a sinful refusal to admit the truth, friends, that there is a God above the universe. And even Christians are not immune. Indwelling sin affects us, and there is a residue of pantheism in us because we often find our value and our worth in the things that are created rather than our Creator who is blessed forever, which is why, even as we prayed this morning, the Bible calls covetousness what? Idolatry. It is the longing for something that is created over the Creator in whom we are to find our satisfaction. And so our psalm today is an apologetic out of the Word of God that destroys pantheism. It is to be paired with Genesis chapter 1 to show that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you will also find in this psalm, and it's veiled unless you know your New Testament perhaps, but the Creator's identity 
is being revealed in the psalm as the eternal Son of God who took on flesh. And when we look at the creation, perhaps what marvels us most as Christians is that the Creator God takes on a created nature to Himself to redeem the creation that groans due to our sin. And now He governs the universe as the God-man mediator over His church, and He exercises His kingly power over all things for us. And so, our theme today is to bless the Lord Jesus Christ for his works of creation and providence. And we'll consider it under the three heads on your bulletin. The first is we are to glorify Christ as creator and governor. Second is to recognize Christ's wisdom and power. And then third, to magnify Christ with meditation and praise. First, to glorify Christ as creator and governor. And in this heading, what we want to see is how this psalm testifies that Jesus Christ is creator of the universe and the governor of providence. Now, this psalm, you might have already recognized this, pairs with Psalm 103 from last month. Both begin the same way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And whereas Psalm 103 exhorted you to bless the Lord for his gift of salvation... Psalm 104 exhorts you to bless him for his works of creation and providence. With these two psalms, you find how comprehensive our blessings are from Jesus Christ. Creation, salvation, and sustenance are all in the hands of our faithful Lord and Savior. And we are to bless him for all of it. Truly, these two psalms can supply for you a lifetime of praise. They are that rich. And so in verse 1 we hear, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. As you heard in Psalm 103, here again is a neglected duty, friends, to exhort your own soul. You are to exhort your own soul with the truth of God. And here is our need today to remind our soul of the greatness and the glory of the Lord and praise Him and bless Him for it. To praise Him simply for who He is, that He is very great, that He is clothed with honor and majesty. You are to exhort your soul in this way when you are cold and lethargic towards Him, when your soul needs warming, You are to exhort your soul. We heard this last time. The Lord works through this. When you bring your soul under His mastery, when you say, no matter how you feel, O my soul, you are to bless the Lord. Sweetly meditate on Him and see His greatness and His majesty and His worth to be praised. Bless Him as you exhort your soul. And the ending of a psalm has the same exhortation in verse 35. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord, which in the Hebrew is well known. Hallelujah. And so verse 34 says right before that bookend there, my meditation of him shall be sweet. And all within the psalm are sweet meditations of the Lord. Sweet, wonderful meditations for the soul to bless him and praise him with. Child of God, if you, if you lack 
today. Praise to God. Open a psalm like 103 and 104 and look at these sweet meditations that are found all throughout it as we will meditate on them shortly. Begin here. What's the first meditation of the psalmist? He reminds himself that the Lord is my God. He is my God. As our elder prayed, he is not the God of the deist. He is personal. He is our God by way of covenant. And you are to say, O my soul, Jehovah is my covenant God. As he says in the Bible, I am his and he is mine. You think of this, the Lord of creation is mine. How rarely do you sweetly meditate on that fact? You are to say, what was, what was Thomas's, when Thomas's uh, uh, unbelief was ripped away when he met the risen Lord, what did he say? My Lord and my God, as he saw Christ by way of an unbreakable covenant bond, which is why his name is Lord here, Jehovah in the text. You say, the Almighty God is mine. And what a cold thing the universe is compared to that. What a cold thing pantheism is when you consider that the God who made all things says, in Christ, you call me yours. I am yours. In Christ, the creator of the cosmos is yours and you are his. And all that you survey then in the creation and all the works of providence, as we'll consider them later, uh, they are all subservient to Jesus, who you say also personally, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And that is the creator of the universe. And this psalm, as I've said already, is all about the pre-incarnate Son of God as the creator. You know, if you were here for our series on Hebrews, um, which is ongoing, you might recall verse 4, which says, who, uh, of God, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers of flaming fire. You remember that was cited by Hebrews 1, verses 6 through 8. Listen to this. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, speaking of Jesus, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirit and his ministers a flame of fire. That's citing our psalm. But unto the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Hebrews taught us, didn't it, that the Son of God is greater than the angels he created. Why? Because he is God. He is God and he is the creator as he is linked here in Psalm 104. And Hebrews 1 says he now rules the creation with the scepter of righteousness, the scepter of his kingdom. Our mediator, our beloved Jesus, rules the kingdom of power for the sake of the kingdom of grace. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But the Bible is very plain and clear on these things. Uh, that Jesus is the creator is made clear at the very beginning of John's gospel, isn't it? John 1, 3, that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Your redeemer, Christian, made all things and all things were made for him. Isn't that what Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says? And so what you need to do, beloved, is exhort your soul to grapple with the sufficiency and majesty of your beloved Savior. Isn't it fitting, if you really think of it in these terms, isn't it fitting and how wonderful it is that the Redeemer, who is the Creator, takes on a created nature to redeem us, His creatures, who are sinners. More on that a bit later too.
Well, our psalm says that the Lord is clothed with honor or splendor and majesty. And the psalm of creation, which is what this is, reminds you of the splendor of the Lord who made all things in the space of six days. And as we have considered it in many sermons recently, his works, we never want to forget, are the outflow of his glorious character and his nature to reveal his glory. You have to think of it in this way. Um, Man cannot see the glory and splendor of God with his eyes. We can't. Material creatures cannot see the invisible God who is a pure spirit. As so many divines have said, the creation is really in a way a kind of canvas by which we might apprehend the Lord's splendor and majesty. What did Romans 1, 19 and 20 say? What does it say? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Listen to this carefully with those terms that we have just heard. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The heavens shout the glory of God as we sang in Psalm 19. Because God is invisible. It is so glorious, the creation is, even in its accursed state. Why? Because the creator of creation is even more glorious. And that's where our thoughts are to go. And the issue for man in his fall is he confuses the glory of the creation for the glory of the creator. But man is meant to say, as Romans 1 says to us, that if creation is so glorious, as you survey now as man peers more and more into the cosmos at that macro level, and then into the smallest details of DNA and the cell structure, we are to say, if creation is this glorious, how much more glorious is the Creator? Become students of creation, friends, to better glorify God. You know, it's a terrible thing that the secular world studies creation more than Christians do today. But it was once the other way around. Isaac Newton, in his opus, The Principia, wrote, This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. This being governs all things, not as the soul of the world, that would be pantheism, but as Lord over all, and on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord God or universal ruler. Sadly, Isaac Newton was not orthodox. He denied Jesus' divinity. He was an Arian. And so what you see is there are two ditches, right? He understood that the glory of God is manifest in the things which are made, but he never did what he needed to do next, which is to really dive into the word of God, into the scripture, to dive into the fuller revelation of God. That's the opposite ditch from not studying creation. Because as we've seen through Hebrews 1 and Psalm 104 verse 4, you've already seen from this very psalm that the scriptures shout that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And so a warning from Newton, who in some ways had at least right views of God as far as being above his creation, is to know that it's not enough. Romans 1 is not enough in terms of understanding, yes, there is a God who is creator, but we are to seek him out in the Holy Scripture. Without special revelation, the creation does not teach you all God is. What we must do, and we neglect sometimes one or the other, is to take up God's book of Scripture along with God's book of nature. 
bringing them together, and you will find a greater sight of God. So boys and girls, in your years, especially now, study nature with the Scripture, and you will have a greater sight of Christ. And as more and more discoveries are being made of the nature of the creation, keep your eye on it. You think of it, countless galaxies with staggering, innumerable stars which dwarf our own sun. Our DNA and God's intricate design for our cell structure. The variety of creatures, like almost every day, you're finding uh, more creatures on this earth in some of the most inhospitable places. That's not to the glory of evolution, which doesn't exist, but it is to the glory of God. And all of it is meant for the soul to say, Oh my soul, see the power and see the wisdom of my Lord and my God. Verse 31 says, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. The Lord rejoices in his work of creation. And we are too as well, beloved. You remember, God once asked Job if he was there when he created all things, and he shut up his mouth. You remember that. And he asked this question, Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job 38, 6-7. God said when he created, and he created angels, of course, the angels shouted for joy when they saw the creation that he had made. They rejoiced to see God's power. They rejoiced to see God's wisdom. And you even think of this as, as immaterial beings, as spirits, for them to see matter for the very first time. What a glorious thing it was for them. And they rejoice. And we are called to rejoice as well. I was reminded of another time that the angels sang for joy. You remember it well. When, through the creation, our Redeemer, the uncreated Son of God, came into the world, the angels shouted for joy. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Luke 2, 13-14. Through a created human nature, in the man Jesus, God is revealed most supremely. So if creation is a canvas for the glory of God, it is fitting that the Son of God takes on a created nature unto himself to proclaim the glory of God. And what did, what did Jesus say to Philip? He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so when we consider the creation and its value to the Lord, you need to see how much the Lord values creation that he would be incarnated and take on a created nature. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for such a God as this, who loves the creation, even me. Well, to better glorify Christ in his wisdom and power, let us recognize that in our second heading. Well, the bulk of the psalm actually walks you through the six days of creation. It is a poetic meditation on Genesis 1 and the creation account. It is closely, but not woodenly, following the six days in order. Boys and girls, then, as you read and study Genesis 1 and 2 in your devotional times, perhaps take up the psalm and sing it with Genesis 1. Because your soul is called in this psalm to extol the Lord for his wisdom and power. And as you walk through the days of creation, you are to shout, as the angels did, with delight and joy. 
and glorify Christ as the Bible calls him, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So let us survey the days of creation, not exhaustively, but to take away their sins. Day one is recalled for you in verse 2a. For God covered himself with light as with a garment. How did the first day begin in Genesis 1-3? God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. Light was, in Genesis, created before the sun. It was, the sun was created on the third, uh, the fourth day, rather. And boys and girls, many are perplexed by this. How can there be light without the sun? Sometimes they read Genesis, say, where, where did this light come from? And then uh, uh, sinful men will say things that Genesis has things out of order and that Genesis is ignorant. Moses didn't know what he was saying, but Moses got a direct revelation from God. And Genesis is fact because the Bible throughout says the Lord does not need the sun to cast light. Our psalm says the invisible God robed himself with light as with a garment. God's light, you think of this, day three, right, plants and trees. They could grow and have light because God's light caused them to grow before the sun was made. And as you think of the consummation of all things, you are not going to need the sun, moon, or stars to see anything in glory. Revelation twenty-one twenty-three, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. Why? For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is the light thereof. What did Jesus call himself? I am the light of the world. John eight twelve. And as the 36th uh, Psalm says, In thy light shall we see light. Then there is day two. And like I said, this is a survey. Day two is recalled in verse 2b to 3, saying of God, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind. This is a recounting of Genesis 1, 6 through 8, where the heavens uh, divide the waters below and above. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And so when our psalm speaks of the beams of his chambers, think of beams, structural beams, boys and girls, of his chambers in the waters, it is poetic, as though he has laid down sturdy beams to divide the waters of day two. And God, so high and exalted, is so exalted that he makes the clouds his chariots. He rides them. And that actually helps with our understanding that in the cosmology of the scriptures, that the clouds are often seen as those waters above the firmament, and then you have the seas that are below the firmament with the sky or the heavens between the clouds and the seas. That's a picturesque language that says God has the clouds as his chariots. And you think of this, um, sometimes we have pretty severe storms here, don't we, boys and girls in Texas? And you think of this, he has total mastery, total mastery over the rains and powerful storms. The most powerful storm cloud, the most powerful hurricane is nothing more than a chariot for him to ride. And the heavens, he stretches them out like we would a tent, boys and girls, effortless. Again, The imagery reveals the glory and might of our God who robes himself with power and majesty. And if we are frightened, and maybe you have been, boys and girls, by severe storms, 
How much more should our fear of God be that rides those chariots? Friends, make God large in your eyes. Whenever you see something grand in the creation, have your thoughts go farther. You see the Grand Canyon. Don't stop there. Go further to the God who effortlessly created it. Think of the awesome God who made it with no effort at all, who uh, with a word caused galaxies to come into being, furnaces of immense power. Think of the amount of energy and matter in the universe. Uh, Boys and girls, you might think a trillion is a very large number, and it is. A trillion kilograms would be one followed by nine zeros. That's a very large number. Hard to even comprehend with the mind. But scientists say that today they observe at least four followed by 54 zeros of kilograms of matter in the universe today. That is mind-boggling. The mind cannot bend to think of it. But as for God, and this is why Job covers his mouth when God confronts him. Were you there when I created such things, Job, to speak to the Almighty in this way? Because for him, it was effortless. He speaks it into being with the word of his power. And all the intricacies at the same time that went into the creation. That is the awesome wisdom and power of God. To think of such power now entrusted to Jesus Christ is to remember that this power is exercised for the church. Deuteronomy 33.26 There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rideth upon the heavens. See, same idea here. Why? In thy help. In thy help. That is a sweet meditation indeed. Then there is day three, where land and water are separated in verses 5 through 13. For the sake of brevity, let me just read 5 through 7. Speaking of God, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever, thou coveredst it uh, with the deep as with the garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hasted away. And day three is also in verses 14 through 16, when vegetation was made. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that maketh glad the heart of man and oil to make his face to shine and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. All of this work is reflected in day three, Genesis 1, 9 through 13. And this psalm reminds you that the purpose of vegetation is not only the glory of God, but it is his kindness in giving it to man to use. Verse 14 says, grass is grown for the cattle. Man lives off of cattle. And he says that the herbs are for the service of man. Verse 15 says, bread is there to strengthen our heart. Then there is wine to make glad our hearts. In moderation, it is a great blessing from the Lord, even in the Lord's Supper, isn't it? To gladden our heart at the work of Jesus Christ. Oil, he says, is given to make our faces shine. You think of olive oil and other oils that are made from vegetation. It's given to make our face shine. You think of dry climates like the Middle East. Boys and girls, the Israelites would use oil like we use lotion today. And he is giving it so that it even eases the effects of the curse. Though we deserve no, no uh, uh, sympathy in light of our sin. But all of this shows the care of the Lord for the crown jewel of creation, which is man. And you must consider all the foresight and all the thought 
the Lord has given to the creation. There is nothing random in the universe. The Bible here is showing us all is intelligently decreed and designed for God's purposes, for particular purposes. And you must understand here, whoever you are, life is not random. Life is not meaningless. All that the Lord has created has purpose and meaning. We behold all things on the earth, all things, and glory must go to God. And even though the creation has fallen, we still live in a world that is far too gracious and good for sinners. Hell is what we all deserve. And yet for the sake of the elect and the work of Jesus Christ, this life staggeringly is not hell. Hell will come if we are not reconciled to God. Don't ever let somebody say this life is hell. It is not. Hell is far too terrible to even think about. This life is good for sinners. But the goodness of God in the creation is not only meant to show us there is a God, but what does the Bible say the goodness of God is meant to lead to? Repentance. Repentance. To repent to this God we have offended. And so have your thoughts on the goodness of creation go there. Then there is day four, where the sun and moon were created in verses 19 through 23. I'll read verses 19 and 20. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. That will be reflected in Genesis 1, 14 through 16. And our psalm shows that we didn't need uh, the sun for light. Instead, the sun and moon were appointed as timekeepers for man. God could have himself been the light for the world. It is given to show us the passage. The sun is given and the moon as well to show the passage of time and to mark out the day-night cycle and seasons. It's the wisdom of God to give us seasons. It's the wisdom of God to give us night and day. Later in verse 23, man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. By nature, and, and some of you have mentioned this to me, I've never had to do it myself, uh, to work the night shift can be very hard on men. Right? And that's because this is God's design. Ordinarily, man goes forth to his work and his labor until the evening, and then he retires. And then the nocturnal creatures come out. And it was God's design for the setting of the sun and its rising to regulate this pattern for man. Again, nothing is arbitrary. Everything is designed. Then comes day five in verses 25 through 26, when sea and air creatures were created. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping and innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. That reflects Genesis 1. 20 through 23, where the earth is populated with sea and air creatures. And the power and genius of God is sort of exemplified here in creating the sea creature Leviathan. We're unsure of the creature's identity, other than it is massive, even its name says so, and it plays in the sea. Today, you might observe massive whales that jump and leap and twirl from out of the seas. It's almost like they're playing. And you see not just, oh, how cute, how amazing, but you see the creative power and wisdom of God in them to create such massive creatures that exert so much more energy than I will ever have in a lifetime and make it seem like nothing as they cut through the seas, as though they are playing, something that is far too hard for me to do or any of us to do, and it seems as though they are simply whimsically playing. The muscles and dynamics of such a creature Wonderful, and give glory to God for power and wisdom. 
Can you imagine such a thing evolving? It's ridiculous. And the seas are powerful and beyond man's control. Many ships men have sent into the sea and have been destroyed. Boys and girls, you might think of the Titanic as a very famous example. You know, man in his, in his pride says the ship is unsinkable and God immediately thwarts him and brings him down to where he ought to be as a creature. And you observe the power of the seas as they rage and storm under God's hand. Even Earth's mightiest ocean vessels can be sunk. Military vessels often become like toys in a bathtub compared to the power of God. And you are to praise God who has such power. And when we think of the seas raging, right? And, and you remember those disciples in the boat with Jesus Christ. And he calms them with a word. And they start to suddenly understand this is no mere man. This is God come in the flesh. And they ask, who is this man who has such power? This is your Savior, friends, who has the power to still the storm. Praise Christ who has such power and yet is your Savior. And yet such grace also to give us food teeming out of the oceans that we may live off it. Then there's day six, verses 21 through 24, where land animals and man himself appears. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together and laid them down in their dens. And then here a man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until, until the evening. Genesis 1, 24 through 31 reflects that. You know, and while the beasts, the beasts of the earth are created on the same day as man, 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 it is man who is the crown jewel of creation. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Are there creatures more powerful than man? Yes, absolutely. We considered Leviathan. You can consider the lion, boys and girls. But only man was made in the image of God, and that is a far more precious thing than all the physical power and might on the earth. And he was given a special place to have dominion over the creation. All the beasts, all the foliage, all that is in the sea, all of it was given to man to steward for God. Again, there is no evolution here. Man was specially created, and that is why we are so distinct, boys and girls, from every other creature no other creature compares to man. No other creature can do what we are doing now. No other creature can build a structure such as this, that they may worship God. And man was to be a kind of vice-regent, God alone governing him. And even in the consummation, you think of this, the mighty angels, what does the Lord say of the saints? They will judge the angels. And you heard that he made men in Genesis 1, as I read it, he made men, male and female, that's why often uh, girls, young ladies, when we speak of man generically, we include you in that. He made man male and female. The only two sexes. Something to remember, boys and girls, as our society says otherwise. The irony is, not only does the, the book of Scripture say that, but the book of nature 
General Revelation says it as well. The book of nature and science says the same thing. Our chromosomes reflect only two sexes, the same as Scripture reveals. Friends, the fool is not the Bible believer, but the fool is those whose minds are so darkened to such a degree that they say a man can become a woman, or vice versa. Darkened to such a degree, even though both nature itself and Scripture say otherwise. Boys and girls, embrace who God has designed you to be. Embrace it, for he knows what is best for you. And as you survey all the creatures made in the creation, consider the doxology of verse 24. Again, we have to go quickly. As you survey all that you see, you are to sing, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. This is what God intends for you when you survey the earth's riches, when you see life teeming in every corner and abounding throughout, you are to praise and bless the Lord. By the way, this is a bit of an aside, but it is our psalm of the month. This is why we must be psalm singers, isn't it? Because how many Christians are blessing the Lord for creation today in their man-made hymns? And yet we praise and bless the Lord that he has done all this. Then after the sixth day, The Lord is said to rest after his work of creation. But as I've already said, he did not leave the earth and go on a holiday. His work continues of another kind, doesn't it? His works of providence as the governor and ruler of all creation is done. But now he governs all things. That's why Jesus said he and his father work even unto today. And if they did not work, then we would all be undone. For it is in him that we move and live and have our being. Friends, Jesus governs his creation and he provides for your every need and that is the work of providence. And that is a necessary work for us all and how it should cheer our hearts to know he is doing this work faithfully. Verses 27 to 30 speak of providence. These, speaking of the animals, wait all upon thee. Let me just pause there for a moment, friends. How much more patient animals are on God than we are. The animals wait on God for their provision. And yet we as men are anxious and always fretting and wondering, will God provide? He says that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die. And return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit. They are created. And thou renewest the face of the earth. Animals and men are dependent on God alike on his provision. And as you think on this psalm, you think of how your Savior said you are to observe the animals waiting on God for their provision in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Behold, the fowls of the air For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. What was his question? Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, 
Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. But what? Your heavenly Father knoweth that ye need all these things. Ye have need of all these things. When you look at how sparrows and just the dumb animals are being taken care of in the creation. You are to see these things and say, am I not of more value to God than these things? And he says, why worry, O you of little faith? Why worry? What can worry do for you anyhow when I provide all things? Now, what is the use he gave in Matthew 6? He says, don't worry, but what? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Knowing Jesus provides all things is your call to never worry. But instead, you are to do something else. Take the energy of anxiety and worry and seek first after righteousness and the kingdom. And he says, God is faithful and God will provide. If Christ is yours, God tells you, He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely Give us all things. Romans 8.32 He says, worry not, little flock. If you have Jesus, God will give you all you need. And now your Jesus, who gave his life for you, is the ruler of providence. He sits at God's right hand for you. That was his reward for his sufferings. Ephesians 1.20-22 says that the Father wrought mighty power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Every providence that comes about comes from the hand of the mediator of the church. In Ezekiel 1, you read of the vision of the wheels, which are the wheels of providence in their intricacy and perfection. And the throne of God is described like this. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne there was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it, upon it. Ezekiel 1.26. As you heard at communion, behold the man, Jesus Christ, God-man mediator, governor of providence, who turns the wheels of providence for the elect for his kingdom's sake. Seek him first and never, ever worry if you are in Christ because he controls all things for your good. The Heidelberg Catechism, I believe, says that all things are subservient to my salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is God's truth. Even the time of your death, you know, as you see in verse 29, that they die when he ordains it. Even the time of your death is in his nail-pierced hands, beloved. So how can you fear death, knowing that your Savior who died for you is going to one day through death summon you to himself through death? So lastly, let's consider how we might magnify Christ in this psalm. And by the time you reach the psalm's end, God's design is your soul has had so 
very much to bless Him for. And the reason that our souls are sluggish to praise God is our meditation of Him is far, far too shallow. Think of the depths of all here, and we just skimmed it. Think of how sweet a meditation there ought to be in God. In verses 33 to 34 is the remedy to it. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Why? Verse 34, my meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. If you have sweet meditations of the Lord, you will praise him, beloved. To sing, you will sing unto the Lord all the days of your life while you have your being. You see, this is, there are days I suspect if you are like me, shamefully so, where I have not praised God. But the call is to praise him all the days of your life while you have your being, while you have your life. The remedy to not praising God each and every day is that you are to have sweet meditations on the Lord. You are to think of his excellencies, his power, his perfections. You are to think of his love. God is love. Even so that to sinners like myself, he has been incarnated and come to die for me. The point of the psalm and the entirety of the Bible is that he is glorious in wisdom and power and that his creation, his providence, and his salvation are only outworkings of who he is. The reason you are saved is because of who God is. If God is not who he is, there would be no salvation. There would only be damnation. And we must glorify him for this. Recall how the the psalm began. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Do you know the greatness of God? If you had to define what makes God great, what would you say? Would you fumble? If God right now, and perhaps he's interrogating you by his spirit, said, what makes me great in your eyes? What would you say? Would they be selfish things? Were they things just that would magnify the perfections of God? Oh, Lord, my God, you are holy. You are without spot. You are perfect. You are magnificent. You are marvelous. You are love. You are goodness. You are judgment. Would you know what makes God great? There's another matter when we come to judgment that you are to bless the Lord for in verse 35 that very few bless the Lord for. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Why would a psalm of creation place that here? It is because the good creation was defaced and accursed in man's rebellion and fall. The thorns and thistles, the diseases and death, all came because of sinners. Our sin has defaced the work of God. And so God will consume unrepentant sinners from off the face of the earth. Sinners, if you are here outside of Jesus Christ today, Look upon his power in verse 32. He looketh on the earth and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills and they smoke. All he has to do is glance at the earth and it quakes. All he has to do is graze his hand, so to speak, upon the hills and they ignite on fire. What will he do to sinners who do not turn from their sin and uh, to the free pardon in Jesus? An eternity of hell under the power and wrath of God for your sin is what he will do. All of us are sinners, and we will be consumed, myself as well, if we do not receive mercy. 
That is why we rejoiced in Psalm 103, that there are those that God pities like a father. Those who are in Jesus Christ, whose faith is in him, are pitied and have mercy. How do you have mercy? Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. A free gift by faith. And so you see Jesus in this psalm as our creator, as our blessed provider, and also our blessed redeemer. He, the eternal son of God, who has taken on a created nature as man to redeem his creation, to save elect sinners in him as the God-man mediator. You have seen our precious Jesus all throughout this psalm. The God-man having a personal union of both divinity and humanity. The divine not becoming created. The created not becoming divine. But the two natures bound together in one person, the eternal Son of God. That a divine person would redeem his creation by taking on the creation himself. A remarkable thing. And you think, the last time I preached for us, it was communion. So I want to think again. The plan of salvation had the creator create iron for the nails that he was crucified with on day one. The wood for his cross on day three. The leather straps and hooks that would lacerate his body that he was scourged with day six for the leather. The sun he made on day four would turn to darkness when he suffered the wrath of God, hell on earth that he suffered for sinners Elect sinners. Why all this suffering? Why did he create the very implements of his torture? To redeem his precious lambs, you who believe. He did it to restore his creation. That one day there would be a new heavens and a new earth. That the Bible says is a place where righteousness dwells. A place no sinner will inhabit. That's why let sinners be removed off the face of the earth is really to say, come Lord Jesus, as the end of the Bible does. A place no sinner will inhabit it, but former sinners will. Former sinners like ourselves who believe. Why? Because the God-man was blasted with God's wrath for sinners. His blood, a thing of the creation, poured out to atone for their sins. What great gravity is there when you see Jesus as creator in knowing the Son of God. You see, Paul uses the divine title, Son of God, the creator, loved me and gave himself for me. Now, at the end of this song, you truly perceive the folly of pantheism. How could it ever capture the glorious truth of Jesus Christ? God is no part of his creation but has taken on a nature out of his creation to redeem those he created in love. Truly, what astonishing and wonderful things are found in the word of God. These are sweet meditations, beloved, and you would praise the Lord all the day if you had them. Sweetly meditate on the psalm, singing it, knowing, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, Second Peter 3.3. 3. Believer, this groaning creation and your groaning body too will be redeemed. You who groan under sin today and are plagued by it, believer, you will marvel with him as you dwell with him in a place where righteousness dwells and as you are glorified, all of your sinfulness will be removed 
because of the work of Jesus. Until that day arrives, believe it will come. You must marvel at all his works, saying, Bless thou the Lord, O my soul, knowing you will dwell one day in a place of unfathomable beauty and glory, a place where the Lamb is your light, that as glorious as this fallen world is, it is a mere shade and a mere shadow of what Christ has gone to prepare for you. Tell your soul, bless the Lord and praise him for all this. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. O Lord our God, you are very great. No man could ever conceive of a God like this. You are truly far beyond the imaginations and thoughts of men. We thank you, Father, for the creation. Paint it, Father, as a canvas, so to speak, that we may give glory to you. Help us to give glory to you for all the works of your providence as well. O Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who you have sent into this world you have created to redeem the very sinners that have blasphemed you and have hated you. Thank you for turning our hearts from uh, hatred and enmity to God to love and adoration. Yet we who believe still confess that our hearts are far too cold to such a great and glorious God as you. Oh, Father, if some here do not know the Savior, we pray that this would be the day of salvation for them. Turn their hearts to Jesus Christ. May they see his glory through the preaching of the word. We ask this not for our sake and not our glory, but for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name, amen.